Wild women, welcome. This is the Femme Podcast. If you're new around here, I'm Jack, one half of the Femme Duo. Before you dive into today's episode, I want to give you a heads up. The Femme Podcast is on season number two. You're about to listen to an episode from season one, which was the Spiritual Smackdown podcast where we invited women to rise from rock bottom. So season one is all about the Spiritual Smackdown. Season two is all about rising from greatness to greatness. More on top of more on top of more. It's where we tap into everything your woman desires. The money, the sex, the wealth, the power, the pussy desires. Start here and then come join us for season two. We're waiting. It's like a little tap on the butt or a huge womp on the booty. A spiritual smackdown is the universe's way of saying, hey, you, it's time for a change. It's time to listen to your intuition. You know, that little voice you've been ignoring. It's time for something bigger, something miraculous. But before you get to experience those highs you got to shift through the lows. Oh, those lows. And those often start at rock bottom. Hey, I'm Rob. And I'm Jack. We're best friends and business partners. We life together, work together, play together. Basically all the things together. And somehow we ended up here. With a community of thousands of badass, beautiful women who want more from life than staying surface level. So we're going deep. This podcast is going to connect you with the woman who's been to rock bottom through the exact same thing that scares you the most. We'll address the fears that are keeping you stuck, the heartbreak you've never healed from, the broke ass months. Oh, I remember those. We're giving you all the resources you need to shift your life and business to rise so that you can finally start living a life you're wild about. So welcome to this space, a space to listen to those hard truths and learn from them. A space to connect with women who aren't pretending to have it all figured out. This is a space for women to finally understand and celebrate that rock bottom is often the very place to rise. So go ahead and fill your cup with coffee or wine and come get real with us as we spit our truth and get ready to rise. So guys, welcome back to the Spiritual Smackdown podcast. Today, we are talking to one of my favorite goddesses, a soul sister who Robin and I have just been connected with for years. And she, I feel like, is the goddess that really has been leading the way for all of us. It's Lindsay Alive, the High Priestess Queen. She is the founder of Alive and Awake. She is a transformational leadership coach, a TEDx speaker, She is just an all-around goddess. She resides in Costa Rica with her beautiful four kiddos who also have a special place in my heart. And Linz, we are just so excited to have you here and to dive into all the things today. Oh my gosh, I am so excited and elated and we haven't caught up in a while and I just can't wait to get into the deliciousness that, that it's about to unfold. I miss those Costa Rica sunsets every day connecting together. And now it, I mean, it has been so long. Mm-hmm. It has. I only got to spend, what, like a week with you in Nosara when we were there. But ever since that trip, I've just felt so sisterly connected to you and just you inspire me so deeply. And I'm so excited to chat with you on the podcast. And I know none of us have caught up in a while. So I'm excited to hear what you're up to. And also just to really dive into spiritual smackdown and what that means. And I know you're in transition right now, too. So it's always an interesting time to discuss spiritual smackdowns and what that looks like in our lives as we kind of move through them. Yeah, I just think it's so incredible the way our sisterhood, but as a representation of global connection between all humans, is like we all have our chapters. And I love that we're just speaking about it openly. And you guys have both been such huge inspirations to me about sharing the the journey uh, publicly. And that's something that historically I was more private about. And, and I just see there's such power in understanding that we're not alone. And not only that, in understanding that the smackdowns to me are actually like the most juicy transformational times of our lives. So thank you guys for creating this platform to share and for you guys inspire me to no end. I've been watching you guys and cheering for you and I'm just thrilled and honored to be here with you guys and on this beautiful journey called life through all the smackdowns and the mountaintops and all of it. 
Amazing. And I mean, you obviously hit it right there when you said like, this is why we're here to show other women that they are not alone and that the smackdowns really are needed for that next step, for that elevation, for that rising. And, you know, the more we share, the more we are connected with our sisterhood, you know, our immediate sisterhood globally. And yeah, really here showing up unapologetically with our stories. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Linz, okay, tell us, because everyone's definition of a spiritual smackdown varies slightly, obviously. So what is your definition of a spiritual smackdown? (laughs) Oh my gosh, this topic is so juicy. The first thing that comes to mind for me is really invoked in the goddess Kali from Hindu mythology. And for me, the smackdown is when Callie comes and plays a visit to me. And I imagine it in these terms because it makes me feel like a little bit less shattered when it's happening. And so for me, the smackdown is when I'm cruising along through life and I feel like for a split second, like I've kind of got everything all figured out. And then all of a sudden, it's like the rug gets pulled out from underneath your feet. And I feel like kind of like I'm flailing and falling like Alice in Wonderland falling through The rabbit hole is disorientation. For me, it often always entails like a deep dive into shadow work, dark emotions that I may or may not have wanted to ever feel. And it really, for me, dissolves ultimately the veils of illusion of ego that I think I have things figured out or that I'm remotely in control. It's it's such a humbling reminder to me of the necessity to surrender. And I mean, I could speak about this on the personal emotional level, but I also really look at it in terms of I'm really deeply rooted in the kind of yogic training and philosophy from my own personal practice. And then from kind of a leadership perspective, I just think it's at the end of the day, it's such a gift to have these times where the crucible moments they talk about in in kind of leadership literature and the turning point moments and And then in the more kind of spiritual traditions of Hinduism or Buddhism, it's the destruction of the ego or the veils of illusion of separation. And so while for me, it's usually massively painful and shattering and literally bringing me to my knees, it also ultimately ends up being the greatest opportunity to, to rip everything apart, look at all the pieces on the ground and start to recreate in an even more authentic, empowered clear way so that on the other side of it, any kind of, like I keep saying this word illusions, because I think that most of us develop all these beliefs and masks. And, you know, I think it was like quite arrogant of myself to think that I knew exactly how life was going to unfold. And so for me, the shattering removes all of that arrogance, certainty, really the feeling of being in control. And it takes me to a place of surrender, humility, ultimately gratitude and connection is ultimately what it does because it, it brings me closer to the, the humans in my life like you guys and really just closer to the truth of who we are on the planet. And that there, like some things that you've been saying, like keys that stick out for me, even just in terms of words are the like letting go of that control, completely surrendering, like things are good. You're like cruising. And then the smackdown comes that takes you to your knees. And it really is... F- for me, talking a lot about that process of surrender, such an important piece. Yeah. And one of the things I love so much is that you actually have been able to create a visual for myself and also I imagine for our audience, because I am now imagining you with this beautiful little ball of yogic, fiery, happy energy. And I can see that shattering and the idea of you actually then physically picking up those pieces that still belong to you, that you choose to still continue to integrate into yourself after the SmackDown feels so powerful because I've never thought about it that way. And I just love that visual impact because it really is that way, you know, like, okay, here it all is. Here are the choices you have. Here's what's left after that whirlwind of a smackdown, whatever it did to you. And what are you going to choose to pick back up? What are you going to choose to carry with you? And I just love that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I just got this incredible 
visual, which I've had this idea of, of the mosaic of picking back all the pieces back up for many, many years. But I just heard the other week that in Japan, when something smashes, a vase or something, they have a tradition of not throwing it out, but of gluing it back together with gold glue to make it even more beautiful than it was before. And that is something that has become so resonant for me because it's not even just a repair job for me. It's actually like the art that we create of our lives after these crucible smackdown moments to me. It's even more beautiful because of its truth, because of its stripping away of what's no longer necessary or, or not meant to be it actually, to me, becomes even more beautiful in the picking up of the pieces. And also, what you just said, one of the key things I've received from it also is the stripping away. And I think that's such a powerful kind of reminder to us. And it's literally like I feel naked in the world, but in a really like wild avatar priestess kind of way, like just running through nature, unencumbered, you know, like without all the baggage and all the extra stuff and all the layers and all the things, the masks that aren't really us. It's really we get to choose. And as you said, pick back up those pieces of like, yes, this is my truth. This is my truth. And oh, there's something over there that I didn't even know existed. So I'm going to add that into the mix as well. And ultimately, it is a shedding, I believe, of like the snakeskins that are just no longer of service or needed or, or true, it's true liberation for me. And that is like, we talk a lot in Costa Rica about rewilding, getting back to that primal connection to nature, to ourselves, to the rhythms of life. And to me, that's what these smackdowns do is, is really shatter any illusions again of these social constructs we create or these identities we make up or these old patterns or behaviors that we somehow just stuck to us, whether it's through how we were raised or religions or schools or however it is that we pick these things up. And these shatterings and the rebuilding is, is like a stripping away so we get to the naked truth of who we are and, and how we're meant to show up and, and express in this lifetime. Well, and then, of course, the goddess way to add those layers to yourself would be with gold glittery glue. Right? <laughs> right? Of course. So not only are you rewilding yourself, stripping down naked, but what I see is this sparkly gold goddess who is only <laughs> built from the things she's chosen to glue into her being. So now you're this naked, sparkly gold goddess named Lindsay Alive. And I'm just like, oh my God, I love you. <laughs> I love that. That is the best image I've heard in a long time. Right? You need a photo session, girl. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of glitter paint, a lot of glitter body paint in my future. <laughs> I can see it now. It's perfect. <laughs> Linz, can you tell us about a time in your life where you have experienced that shattering? Something that you've gone through where you literally had to pick those pieces up and, and what that felt like? Yes. I The most potent time, I would say, in my recent history, I talk a lot about, I had an early experience in my early 20s of going down a certain path with uh, going into corporate and management consulting. I've told that story many times. And that was my first major shattering and awakening of identity. But I, I think the most potent and raw and visceral shattering for me happened about five years ago. And it really shattered every single facet of my life, which is why it was so colossal. It was like every single part of who I thought I was and what I thought I was doing got questioned and reevaluated. So for me, I historically have been really, really good at having a vision for something and then building the empire around it. I'm a really good creator, manifester, et cetera. And also, as much as I was in the work of transformation and very clearly aligned with my purpose and my passions, I still had a lot of, how would I say this? Maybe like lack of clarity or certain parts of myself that I hadn't really taken a really good, authentic look at. So it's kind of a both-hand scenario where as much as I'm like a huge fan of creating a vision and having goals and setting out to achieve them, what I realized in my SmackDown was that I achieved, I had this life plan that I had created sort of like 12 years before. I wanted to have four kids and have a career in a certain way and live down south part of the year in the cottage and all these things. And what happened was that I did all the things that I set out to do. And I got there and I was like, oh my God, 
I felt empty. I felt depleted. I felt burnt out. And the dream that I had when I got to it in reality didn't feel the way that I thought it was going to feel. And the truth of the matter was that I never actually even thought about how it was going to feel because I was really focused on the external parts of the dream and very little focus other than my day-to-day practices of yoga and spirituality, et cetera, of gratitude, which I was very committed to. But I was really focused on the external manifestations at the expense of the inner states that I now understand are so critical to our journeys through life. And so what happened was that I basically woke up one day, it was sort of a gradual process where I had been working and working and working towards this life and then had four babies in six years and was supporting my partner who was building five consecutive tech startups and just like giving and giving and giving, giving to my clients, which I absolutely loved all of it. If you would have asked me if you was I happy, I would have been like, oh my God, I'm at 10 out of 10, except all of a sudden I woke up and I was shattered, depleted, numb, empty. And it was shocking to me because like I teach this stuff and I like live this stuff and it was so humbling and it showed up in ways like, like I said, feeling numb, feeling empty, feeling lost, but it was things like my kids would come to try to touch me and like my physical body didn't want to be touched anymore because I had been like, so my body had been given to, you know, over the years with deepest gratitude, but to my kids. And I found myself like crying unexpectedly for no particular reason. I would like drop the kids off at school, drive down to yoga and be like weeping in the car on the way there. And at the time my career was on a very like minimal burn. And I was, I think, lacking that creative outlet. So I felt a little bit empty. And again, now I would say that as fulfilled as I was massively on the personal front, I think I was deeply missing that creative vitality that comes from doing some sort of creative work. For me, that's a really huge part of who I am. So what happened was I basically, I would say I had kind of like a full-on burnout breakdown. And I got guidance from spirit to basically like, like get out of Dodge. And it was insane at the time, but my soul was just screaming at me and I knew I needed to get away. It was horrifying and terrifying. And I had every shadow come up about being a bad mother, a bad partner, a bad human. And I basically got this download from spirit that I needed to go to Bali On the other side of the world, I had never left my kids for more than two days ever. And Spirit's like, you need to get out of here. You need to go to Bali for a month and do a yoga teacher training. And you've just got to go do this. And my ego was like, you've got to be kidding me. There is no way in hell I'm doing that. And so I resisted, resisted, resisted. In the meantime, I'm like weeping. I'm like totally non-functioning. I'm breaking down on every front of my life, my relationship, my parenting, my everything. And so I was just like brought to my knees and I really felt, and I'm sure many people might be able to relate to this, but like, I felt like I was in a lose-lose situation. I was either completely going to sell out on myself or I was going to be like the worst mother ever and abandon my children and like all the trauma and stories I had built up about that. And so when, when we look at these smackdowns, like now I can be like, oh, it was the best thing that ever happened. But it was such a dark time for me. For me, what the beauty of these smackdowns is, is like this fear of abandoning my children for me was the most primal fear that I could ever have. And it forced me to like bathe in that fear for months at a time, not like a day of contemplation, like months. And then what it did for me then was once I did decide to go, because I literally felt like I had no other choice, this is how raging my soul was about this. My partner was in the middle of selling his startup. I had four kids under nine, no support in town, like no family support whatsoever. It was the most insane thing for me to do at the time. And I just did it. I bought the ticket, took the ride, as Hunter S. Thompson said, and just got out of Dodge. I like wept the entire way to Hong Kong. And then once I got there for my change of flight, I had this epiphany, which is like, if I'm going to go do this soul thing, I'm not going to spend the entire time wishing I was somewhere else. And in that moment, I decided to just surrender to what my soul was asking for. And through that month, I ended up doing the deepest healing work I've ever done and grieving and weeping and filling myself up most importantly with, for me at the time, the yogic philosophy was exactly 
what I needed to fill myself back up to make meaning of what I was going through. And ultimately what it did was it became the catalyst for a massive relaunch of my career to like the global stage, which was crazy and wild and not in any way what I was expecting or planning for or or even necessarily consciously wanting. But it was just this like massive catalytic shift for me that only happened when I surrendered to my soul's calling in the face of the deepest, darkest trauma of my ego challenging me. And it was truly the greatest like alchemical time that has launched me on a trajectory in every area of my life that I could never have dreamed possible. That was profound and shattering. And then from then there are like a million other like mini shatterings. But but one of the key things I wanted to share that I got out of that, that specific moment in time was this whole idea of judging others and of the judging of ourselves. And this is when I say it's ego shattering, but removing the veils of illusion, of separation. The thing I judged probably the most of anything on the planet was mothers who could leave their children. Honestly, I was like, what kind of a mother could ever just abandon their children? To me, it was like worse than anything that I could imagine. And there I was finding myself as the mother who was about to abandon her children in my mind for a month. But I had like a two-year-old. She didn't know I wasn't gone forever. And the truth of the matter was in that moment, for the very first time, I had the deepest compassion and understanding for every mother who has either ever abandoned her child or whoever even like thought about it. And so that's one example of millions that when we get brought to our knees, All of these stories about like, I would never, or I'm not the kind of person who are, I always, that's all these very egoic ways of operating in the world. And when we get brought to our knees to these times of humility and like facing the darkness within us and our capacity for darkness, for me, the gift and the light in that is the compassion and the understanding that instantaneously I had to create for myself, first of all, that like, yes, I'm a mother who would abandon her children. I had the capacity to do that. And in my self-love and self-compassion in that way, opened up this massive space of unconditional love and compassion for any woman specifically or any human who's ever also had that same experience. So that's where the light can really come into the darkness from my experience. Oh man, that judging so deeply resonates with me because I definitely was one of those women who had said, you know, I never, if this happened, like this would be my reaction. And when you go through a smackdown, when you are like forced to surrender, you really have to like take that judgment off of yourself, off others. And it really lets you see, you know, everyone in an entirely new light and new perspectives. And I mean, for women that are listening, that are there in that space, base of, you know, judging themselves and like shaming themselves. What is your biggest piece of advice for someone who is really like, yeah, but I've done this. Mm. I'll tell you what worked for me in that moment. In, In that specific scenario, the thing that got me through that whole journey was I kept asking myself, what advice would I give my daughters in this moment? Mm. And at every juncture of that process, I was like, without fail, I would tell my daughters they needed to follow their dreams. They needed to take care of themselves. They needed to nurture themselves. They needed to do what they needed to do to be thriving. And that's what I would also tell my son as well, but specifically around women and motherhood. And I would want my son to support a partner in that way as well. And so as we judge ourselves and shame ourselves, for me, the most profound perspective shifting thing is like, would we judge our children in that same way or a best friend or somebody who we love dearly? And my guess is we probably wouldn't. We would probably have such maybe love and understanding for somebody else. And so can we offer that same unconditional love and sweetness to ourselves that we might to our children or or a a loved one that we, we hold in deepest reverence? And I think that's so important there because when we think of unconditional love, we think of offering that to someone else so often, but not to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I've actually developed a real practice of this, of I am that is sort of one of these mantras that we hear a lot in, in transformational work or spiritual discovery. I like to play this game and I learned it many, many years ago, and it really speaks to the root of compassion. And we have to start with self-compassion. But when we point our fingers at someone else, we pay attention to how many fingers are pointing back at us. So when we say like, I would never be like that person, they're so such and such, right? Then we look at 
the three fingers pointing back at us. And there's a great tool from a book called uh, The Buddha Walks Into a Bar. And the tool is to add on. So let's say you judge someone like they abandon their children, let's say, or they're so shallow or they're so aggressive or mean. Then you add on the sentence at the end, just like me. And then, right, just like me, I too can be mean sometimes. I too can be shallow sometimes. I too can abandon my children sometimes. Maybe I don't leave them forever, but maybe I don't talk to them or like maybe I ignore them when they're asking for my attention sometimes. Just like me, I'm no better than or no worse than anybody else. And then the next part of that exercise, once we own the fact that we all have the capacity for any single human experience or expression, can we love ourselves in our failings, in our weakness, quote unquote, quote unquote? Can we develop that deep self-love and compassion for ourselves in our awkwardness, in our meanness, in our shallowness, in our all the things? And just let it be as if we were like a beloved character in literature, right? You just like love that part of that person as part of their complexity, as opposed to it being innately good or bad. And so for me, that is the work. And so whenever I find myself judging others or myself, if it's judging someone else, then I immediately start to think about where in my life am I just like that? Maybe not to the extent of them, but there's a part of me that's like, I always say that we all have as much Hitler as we do Jesus in us. It just depends on what our childhoods were, what we grew up as, what genetic encoding we got. But to pretend that we're any in any way better than or worse than anyone else is, again, a veil of illusion. It's false. We're all just humans navigating through the human experience with different backgrounds, different genetics, different all kinds of things that craft us into our current circumstances. And so for me, when I'm judging others, my first exercise is to be like, where do I sometimes like maybe I'm not you know, again, to the extreme that they are, but it might show up in more micro versions of it. And then if it's judging myself, then the exercise is, can I love myself in my awkwardness? Can I love myself in my failings and my imperfection and find the sweetness in it or the humor in it or the humanity or the beauty in it towards myself? And so that's the practice that I I really take very seriously, because as soon as I can accept my own capacity for any of these things, I've immediately opened up the space to be deeply in love with everybody else's humanity in that moment. And that is true liberation. Well, I love that so much, Linz. And a few years ago, so I think my one of my smackdowns was four years ago, but Jack will probably correct me. <laughs> but I think it was like four years ago. And actually in the middle of that smackdown, I got so hum, the mantra for I am that literally tattooed on my arm. So it is there as a reminder for me all the time. I am that. I am the smackdown. I am the rise. I am the judgment. I am the mother who abandons her children to take care of myself. I am all of the things. I am the lover. I am the entrepreneur. And so listening to that cue that you've been able to embed in your self-practice for loving others in whatever state they are, as I was listening to, I was like, what if we can even connect those two practices, the self-love and the loving others, so that when you recognize a judgment that you place on others and you say, let's stick with the you know mother who abandons her children for the example, and you're like, oh, how could that woman ever abandon her children? Oh, okay, well, I've done that too. So I love her. I am that. I recognize that we both have that. And I love her for that action. I love her regardless of her actions. And I love me too. I love me too for those actions. And I just think that's such a powerful practice to recognize like that guy flipping you the bird in the traffic jam. Like you've been that person, you know, like maybe you're not right now, but we've been there and being able to see those situations with love. I mean, for my own personal practice. And I mean, you guys, my mom commits suicide. She That's the ultimate act of abandoning your children and learning to forgive that I've had to recognize. Oh, and I mean, going through my mom's death after I became a mother was like basically like losing her all over again, because I then had to understand from a mother's perspective, how could you do this? How could you leave? And being able to 
find that forgiveness, and this is something that I wanted to touch on with you next, is when you're going through the smackdowns and when there's other people involved and when you're making these choices that feel like, okay, my next step is to make this decision and act for the sake of myself, for my own nourishment, for my own growth, for my own shattering, and then to move through that forgiveness process of I'm going to forgive myself for this just the same way that everyone else who loves me is going to forgive me for this because anyone who loves me understands that this is what I need. And was there any time in your process where you did have to cultivate self-forgiveness? And if so, like, what did that look like for you? Because I know there are so many women out there and I am a liberated mother. I make a lot of choices for myself and I have women messaging me all the time saying, watching your stories gave me so much anxiety. I'm so happy you're home with your kids. I'm like, oh my God, you watching my stories gave you anxiety? Like, girl, you need to go take a bath and go for a girl's night out. You know, like you need to do something for yourself. And I'm just wondering, because I feel like if you have some valuable tools for self-forgiveness, that's one step that a lot of women are missing, right? Like if they go make a choice for themselves, then they spend two weeks beating themselves up for that choice. Yes. I had the gift of this amazing insight from a teacher many, many years ago, my coach training. It was such an interesting statement. The statement was that guilt is a useless emotion. And by that, they meant that you should either do something about the thing you feel guilty about, like make it right or change the circumstances, or let it go. So let's say you're out at a girl's night out and you're feeling guilty while you're sitting there with your girlfriends. For me, the practice I've had is I should either get back in my car and go home and hang out with my kids if I'm feeling that badly, if I'm like that out of alignment with my values in that moment. Like maybe I've been out four nights that week and I actually do want to be back home with my kids. Or option to let it go and release it. But to stay in the guilt spiral is nothing but self-torture. And that was that moment I talked about in Hong Kong when I was transitioning on the plane. I wept from Toronto to Hong Kong, the grief, the guilt, the regret about leaving my children. And I remember the exact moment where I made that call. And I was like, if I'm going to be away from my kids anyway, because I'm on a plane to Bali for a month, I can either waste this whole month wishing I wasn't there, not being present, regretting that I'd gone, or I can go make the most of every second I'm away from them and not do it in vain and get what I need to get from this and receive what I need to receive and fill myself up so that when I go back, I can be even more present, even more of a role model to them. And so that was the thing about, for me, guilt is a a very, and I don't like to say any emotion is useless because I actually love every single emotion. But the principle of the idea is that you should either make changes or clean up the mess that you've made or release it. And so from the self-forgiveness perspective, it's so interesting because for some reason, as I navigated that whole scenario, I never at any point felt like I was doing the wrong thing, if that makes sense. I felt aware of grieving the fact that I could be abandoning my children. So that probably doesn't sound like it's possible to be in both ways, but I was feeling the feelings, but at the same time, I knew it was the right thing for me to do. So I, the self-forgiveness comes, I guess, from a place of shame or feeling like it's, you're not doing the right thing. And I was just blessed at that moment to be able to I think because it was so necessary for me. I think that's part of the reason. It was like I was in survival mode. It didn't feel like I was at choice. But in general, around self-forgiveness, the the main criteria I always use is what advice would I give my children? Kids are going to watch what we do. They're not going to listen to what we say. So if we would want for our children to be mothers or fathers that take care of themselves and are thriving and are not burnt out and depleted, then those are exactly the kinds of parents that we need to be to model for them what we want for them. We can't just tell them, you should follow your dreams. You should be happy. I just want you to be happy. And then walk around like these depleted, miserable, like unfulfilled humans on the planet. We have to model happiness. We have to model joy. We have to model following our dreams for them. And that's for me, how I deal with guilt is like, you know what? I'm showing them what it is to be a thriving human. And yes, it requires short-term maybe being away from them. But at the end of the day, I want to be the example that they will model themselves after. 
And I feel like I can, you know, picture you sitting in that Hong Kong airport that you like took ownership of that choice, you know, to do something about it or to let it go. And that is such a golden nugget for me in terms of judging ourselves, forgiving ourselves, like dealing with that guilt, you feeling guilty and staying in that zone in this, I mean, in any situation, but this one particularly, like wasn't going to serve you. It wasn't going to serve your kids. Like that isn't benefiting anyone. Mm Mm-hmm. I like this idea of transmutation, like taking the energy of any emotion and doing something with it. So using the energy of guilt, for example, like I said, one choice could be to stop doing the thing you feel guilty about. Let's say you're having an affair and you have guilt about that. I know like lots of people that that's the truth for. So two options. One is stop having the affair so you don't feel guilty anymore. Clean up your mess, make it right. Or continue having the affair and stop feeling guilty about it. But sticking with continuing with the thing that's making you feel guilty and still feeling guilty about it for me is just like, it's like self-torture. So use that energy maybe of guilt, let's say, to have the courage to speak your truth or end the thing you don't want to end or whatever it is, like use the energy of it. Or for me, in the case of going away with the kids, like I used that feeling to be even more present at the thing I was doing. And like, I was like soaking it in like the biggest geek you've ever seen, like every second of being there because I didn't want it to be in vain. I used that energy, what could have been guilt as energy to fuel me to be in deepest gratitude for that time away from my kids, for that yoga course I took. I soaked up every split second of it. I ate the mangoes they served at breakfast as if it was like the last mango I was ever going to eat. And so I used that guilt energy to be even more present. And then what I did is when I came back, I used that same, what could have been guilt as fuel to be even more present with my kids and even more vital and even more alive with them than I could have been otherwise. I'm obsessed with this. And even as you said the word mango, I'm like, I bet she can still taste that mango. You know, like I know you can. So here's the thing, okay? I feel like a lot of women have this intuitive guidance that they shove down and shove down and shove down, like that you had the mastery to at that point in your life to listen to. But here's where Jack and I believe that this smackdown really comes. So you had the opportunity to listen to or the knowing, I guess, to listen to that intuition and say like, okay, you've got two choices, Linz. You're either going to go on this yoga practice or you're going to stay here and be in misery and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Right. Where the smackdown could have and would have come later on is that if you hadn't have listened to that intuition, your whole entire everything at home as you know it probably, and tell me what you think about this, but probably would have in some way come crumbling down, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's the gift of being able to listen to spirit saying, hey, like this is what you need now. This is what you need. This is why you're crying. This is why you don't want to be touched. This is what your soul is crying for. But you had the capacity and the know-how to listen to that and say like, oh, fuck, okay. Like I got to listen to this or blank. Well, I... Yeah, I want to be super clear that that was just the beginning of the breakdown and the shattering. So there was a lot more stuff that did go down on the home front. So yes, 100%. And and more recently, in fact, like just a month ago, I just had a massive health scare that I know was another round of me, these patterns that keep coming back over and over again, even though we know better and we practice all the things, was that my body shut down like a month ago. And it was the same theme again, because I got caught up again in overgiving and taking care of everybody else's needs. And even though I've done so much cleaning up of those old patterns and old behaviors, it just, it continues. So a hundred percent, like the relationships will fail. The bodies will break down. Like it's a guarantee. The alcoholism will peak its heads up. It Like all the things, it's a guarantee. There's not even a question about it. So it's like you either, I always say you either listen to the whispers or they're going to become screams. And, you know, your mom is, is a tragic example of the ultimate thing that can happen. And mental illness and mental health is the most prevalent thing that I think that we could all be talking about right now. And I think that's really at the root and the core of what we're talking about. Certainly in my case, it was. And I think in many, many, many people's cases. So 100%, it's a guarantee. Like you either listen to the whispers and you start doing listening to your intuition and your guidance 
sooner or at the end of the day, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual breakdowns are a guarantee. It's not if, it's when. I know Jack and I both 100% agree with that. And so for the woman who's listening to this being like, oh my God, I need to start listening to, <laughs> to my whispers. But maybe that woman doesn't exactly know how. She doesn't know where to find the whisper or how to identify the whisper because she's got so many of them. What would your advice be or how did you know that that whisper was your intuition and spirit talking to you and not just some egotistical desire to go on a fancy trip to Bali? Like what was the recognition for you that that was your soul's calling? Hmm. That's such a good question. Oh my gosh, I never thought of that before. I'll tell you what it was. It was because it terrified me. And I actually didn't want to go. I didn't want to go to Bali. I didn't want to leave my children. I just got massive goosebumps. Yeah, it was not my ego because I had no egoic interest in abandoning my children. That actually flew in the face of every egoic identity I had as being the perfect mother and the perfect wife and the perfect everything. So for me, a great indication that it's your soul speaking is that if it scares the shit out of you, you're probably on the right path. It seems batshit crazy. That's probably your soul speaking. And so the practice I've developed, and I continue to have to do this because as you guys both know, the more work we do with ourselves, it doesn't get easier. The like leaps just get bigger and the work just gets deeper. So I, every day. And so the practice I have is, is to do one thing a day that scares you. So if it scares you to sneak away and go have a bath, you know, while your kids are, you put them in front of the TV for half an hour, then that's the thing you should do because I guarantee that's what your soul is asking for. If it scares you to like, whatever, go away on a, a two day something, then I would recommend doing the thing that scares you because for sure, that's probably your soul speaking. And what that might sound like from your soul would be like, oh, you know, if you're talking to a girlfriend, you'd be like, oh, I would love to go away on that two day conference with you, but I could never, yes. I could never lose my kids. Oh, like my husband would never yes. watch. And like, that's the voice I want women to be able to recognize. Like, no, actually that's your fear talking and you can do those things. And all you have to learn to do is fucking ask for it, right? Arrange the support, oh. Oh. book the flight, buy the tickets. Get me started on this. Yes. Okay. So here's the thing. I want to give people like the most practical, tangible tools that they can possibly use. So how it feels when you get these whispers is you get literally like this little flutter of excitement in your body. So the practice I would invite people to start to, to do is to listen to your body for the signals. So if your girlfriend's like, oh, I'm going to this two-day conference and you get that like that little rush of a little high or like I, I call it being like a little turned on. Like it may feel sexual, but it may not feel sexual. Just like a little bit of that like peak experience feeling like a physical sensation, like a little bit of like you might catch your breath a little bit or you get a little like light butterflies in your stomach. Those are the whispers that you want to start to listen to. I say follow the good juju. So if there's something really exciting about the idea of going to that two day conference or spending more time with that girlfriend that you want to go with or whoever it is. That is what you want to start to honor and pay attention to, because then what comes next is exactly what you just said, which is the, all the 20,000 reasons why you shouldn't honor that thing. I could never, he can't, I couldn't, da, 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 which is your second clue that that's probably the right thing for you to be doing because your ego is trying to keep you safe in your former reality. So if it scares you, if there's that level of, of couldn't, wouldn't, shouldn't, then that's your second clue, I think, that it's exactly the thing that you should do, um, or at least investigate doing. And then the third piece, as you guys just said, is the practice of asking to have your needs be met. And this is what I am actually literally like in this moment, tripling down on, because in spite of all the things that I've gone through, I still am just practicing and learning to articulate and ask to have my needs be met in every moment. So some people are really good at it naturally. For me, it's something that I continue to work on every single day, which is that act of receiving, of feeling worthy of receiving, of feeling that we deserve to have our needs be met. Like this is like very, very deeply programmed stuff in many of us. And so that for me is an ongoing thing. But for me, it's like, listen to the things that excite you, that turn you on, that give you that little feeling of like that flutter in your heart. 
Then notice if you have fear immediately come up, that's probably a good sign that it's something that's going to get you to a massive place or a minor place of growth. And then third, it developed the practice 100% of asking and, and playing with the variables that you think are getting in the way of you being able to do it and have positive expectancy about it working out exactly as it should. And I think it's really just being willing to like step into that fear, being able to say yes to that thing that scares you. And I always like pose the question this way to my clients. I'm like, what's the one thing I could tell you to do right now that you would massively resist? Like if you want to up leveling your business, if you want to create, you know, a stronger relationship, like what's the one thing that you do not like that you will really resist, but that's probably the thing that's going to change your life. That is the thing that's going to have that drastic impact on your business. That is like where you grow and rise. Totally. You guys know, um, just from following me and, and from being friends of mine, that one thing I've become really passionate about is being able to ask for what you need. And one thing that I just wanted to make sure all of the listeners know and identify is it's not always about asking one person for what you need. You know, we can't expect to get all of the things we need from our husband. We can't expect our children to fulfill all of our needs. We can't expect to get all of the creative energy or abundance or whatever we need from our job. And so I think it's really creating this awareness of like, okay, what do I need today? What do I need right now in this moment? And who and what in my life can give me that? And then do like that practice that you're working through right now, Lynn's like, okay, am I worthy enough to ask for it, knowing I'm worthy enough to ask for it? And then using our voices as women to really go out there and ask, right? Like not holding it in. And that's another thing that that would lead to that eventual smackdown is, you know, when we just continue to, yeah, shut ourselves down and, and not gain the confidence to, to ask for those, the support and the camaraderie and the love and receivership that we need in order to really rise and grow. Because as much as the smackdown is a part of the journey, it's also up to us to pick ourselves up from that rock bottom, to get out that gold glittery sparkle glue and to pick up those pieces and to put it all back together. And you know, and Jack knows, and I know as women who have been through this, that we can't do that alone. Oh, 100%. I, I want to just say that, and I haven't explicitly said it, but our this sisterhood we're in this very second as an example of this is like the greatest gift I've gotten from all the SmackDowns, and I've had some colossal ones, is the understanding and the knowing that I cannot do this thing called life alone. And I am a hero historically, like I am an independent woman <laughs> by identity. And these SmackDowns, have shattered my illusion that I can just do this thing called life by myself. And so the gift of being so on your knees that we, you must ask for help and then having the sisters and the brothers here to step into that vulnerability that you've created to be there with you, not only is it massively connecting and, and creates deep, deep, deep new friendships and relationships. But it also, as you said, is like, is the medicine to help you realize that we can't do it alone. And any, and the bigger the game we go to play, which is sort of the trajectory that this, this whole journey takes us on, right? Like as we strip away our wounding and what's holding us back, it creates the space for expansion. But the bigger the game we're, we're playing, the more support we need and the more nurturing and the more needs we need, we need to have help with fulfilling. And so that's a huge, what you just said is exactly the practice that I've just had this massive awakening on, which is instead of looking at like one or two people in your life or whatever and being like, why aren't you being everything for me? Why aren't you, you know, fulfilling every need I have, which can become a very toxic dynamic to get into. What if we just turned around, as you just said, and instead look and identify and receive all the places where that same help or those same needs are already being offered to be met. And so it might look like random pieces from random different people but the onus is on us to first of all identify and this is for me what the trickiest part was because I just grew up in a framework where I just my needs were just not on the table for a various reasons and so I literally have to ask myself like what are my needs in this moment which is that in and of itself is a practice and then it's like what's the thing that I need to ask for in this moment in order to have those needs be met and then another thing is 
can I receive those needs being met from the person or people who are offering to receive it? So an example of that is you might have three dear soul sister girlfriends sitting there offering to nurture you in your pain. But if you are not practiced at receiving, you might still block them out or shut, shut them out and think you need to suffer in silence or in privacy. So there's, there are kind of many facets to this idea of having our needs be met. And one of the biggest ones, again, is, is the practice of receiving and that power of vulnerability of letting people in and asking to have our needs be met. And then at the second, being able to receive it when people do or already are offering to support us in different ways. Man, I cannot agree with that more. And that's like, obviously, the whole point of why we're here is to show other women that they are not alone. And, you know, to be open to receiving whether it's from, you know, a sister in your community that's there holding your hand, whether it's listening to this podcast, whether it's connecting with us with you online, it's just like, there's a sisterhood out there for you to be connected into to plug into. So that being said, where can our people find you? Oh my gosh, so fun. And yeah, and I want to also articulate that again, that I am 100% here in service of all the sharing. I say my life is art. And so I, I truly, nothing makes me happier than to be able to create the space and the platform and just sending so much love out to anybody. You're not alone. We're all collectively here for you and with you. And they can always, I'm always sharing at Lindsay Alive on Instagram. And on Facebook under Lindsay Sikornik and aliveandawake.com is my website. So every single thing I do now is to take any of these shattering experiences, these peak moments and immediately and as quickly as I can offer it back out through whether it's, you know, the coaching or the speaking or the social media posts is like, for me, the beautiful thing about this whole thing is how we can turn it into our art and, and offer it back out into the world from a place of deepest service and love. So thank you guys so much for giving me the opportunity to share my story and for the incredible work that you guys are doing with this platform and all the work that you guys are doing, sharing so much love and light in the world. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you so much for being here, for being like we are honored to call you a soul sister, a goddess leading the way for all of us. And yeah, for sharing with all of our listeners today. Thank you so much. We love you. Lindsay, I love you so much. Just thank you so much. And always these conversations just feel so healing for me. And every time we get to connect, I'm just reminded of exactly what you said at the end, just how much we need each other and how much we can support each other. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing up, not only for me, but for all of the listeners and providing all of your beautiful insight. And I love you from the bottom of the floor to to the heavens above. You're just everything. So thanks so much for being here and can't wait to see what happens next for you. Thank you, guys. I love you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. There really is nothing better than bringing a group of grown-ass women together. So go ahead and hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and come get real with us every week as we spit our truths and get ready to rise. And if you know other women down to get real, please do us a favor and share this episode on the socials. Take a screenshot and tag us on Instagram at ForTheWildFemme so we can give you a shout out. Instagram is definitely our favorite place to hang. So come join the combo there. And we'll see you back here each and every Thursday. Thank you so much for being here. Get ready to rise.